Hey there, it's Gary Parish. It's Tuesday, March 12, 2019. Welcome back to the Ion College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me, and like I said, it is Tuesday, technically Tuesday, but it's going to be Wednesday soon. I'm in Charleston, South Carolina, where I just watched Northeastern beat Hofstra in the CAA tournament title game. Norlander is at home in Connecticut. It's like 11.25 p.m. Eastern right now. And Gonzaga uh, just lost in the WCC tournament title game. Final score, St. Mary's 60, number one Gonzaga 47. Fewest points Gonzaga scored in the game since it lost to Duke in 2009. So Randy Bennett's scale is our, I think, bid stealers. Mark Few's number one seed in the NCAA tournament is in real jeopardy now. Norlander, I know you watched it. How surprised are you that Gonzaga, as a 15-point favorite on a 21-game winning streak, just lost to St. Mary's on a neutral. Damn surprised. You know what this means, Parrish, by the way. Hmm. It means Wofford, now 13th in the net. Uh-oh. I've had about enough of Wofford. <laughs> it has the longest win streak in college basketball. You get your Memphis mention. I get my Wofford mention. This was a stunning outcome. Gonzaga- by the way, you mentioned yeah. Memphis. You mentioned me mentioning Memphis now more than I actually mentioned Memphis, if you haven't noticed. Uh, but go ahead. We might need a user tally on that, but I am trying to balance the scales. You are correct. So, Gonzaga beat St. Mary's earlier this season by 48 points, and it only scored 47 in this game. Uh, Mark Few told me a few weeks ago that the St. Mary's team was way better than people are giving it credit for, and obviously I did not believe him. I don't even know if I still do, but this was, I mean, it, it was not Gonzaga's night. Granny Bennett did a great coaching job, completely played at the pace that he wanted his team to play at, but if you watch the game, Gonzaga just had bad body language, took bad shots, shots that even should have gone in, didn't go in, and St. Mary's, I don't think it had a realistic shot at a bid, um, I don't think it was like com- I, you know completely unthinkable that it would have gotten at large. But I just don't think I think it just took on too many losses, uh, despite the fact that it actually scheduled way better this season than it had in previous seasons. So, universe has a weird way of correcting itself. Uh, in years past, when St. Mary's has had a gaudy record, but it's not challenged itself, it's been left out. And Parrish and I have agreed on this over the years, rightfully so. This season. Hey, look at this. Randy Bennett actually challenges himself and was put <laughs> put his program in a tough spot because they couldn't get enough wins, but they wind up getting the auto bid anyway. This is the seventh automatic or seventh tournament bid for Randy Bennett in 18 seasons at St. Mary's. It's the program's first win ever over a number one ranked team in uh, program history. And I believe I saw just before we started podcasting, it's actually St. Mary's first win ever over a team ranked in the top 10 of the AP Top 25. So congrats to the Gales who will be in. <laughs> Smells like a 12 seed to me there. And uh, we'll see what five they get matched up against. GP, your thoughts on the game? And obviously we can get to uh, whether or not Gonzaga should be a one seed or will be. I do think Mark Few was telling the truth when he said St. Mary's is better than people are giving it credit for because I don't think people had talked about St. Mary's at all. Never ranked this season. Um, no big, big wins to to you know make you take notice. And Gonzaga dominated the West Coast Conference all season and overshadowed everything else uh, in that league, nearly everything else on the West Coast. Um, but here's the truth, and this is only going to get better when it updates, but as of this moment, you know, heading into the Gonzaga game, St. Mary's was 33rd at Ken Palm. You know, they, they're a top 35 team uh, in the country. And yet, um, you know, you, you, you wouldn't have thought that based on the, the lack of attention that they got. 
33rd at Ken Palm, 37th in the net. So top 40 team according to those two metrics. Um, and I think it says, you know, it, it, it says a lot about Gonzaga that they are a 15 point favorite on a neutral court over a top 40 team. Uh, that speaks to how awesome Gonzaga had been this season, but it still makes it a, a bad loss. It's a quad one loss, you know, so it's not gonna it's not gonna go down as a as a, a horrific, embarrassing, shameful night. But you're not supposed to lose that game if you're Gonzaga, and and now I do think their one seed in the NCAA tournament is in real jeopardy. I texted our friend and colleague Jerry Palm, and. Asked him, is Gonzaga still a one seed right now? And he said, yes. And I, I agree with that, if only because I learned years ago it's just smart to agree with Jerry Palm when it comes to this kind of stuff. But I also believe that uh, they, they, can, they can now get past. Uh, the way that they'll be a one seed is if some of these other possible one seeds take losses they're not supposed to take in their conference tournaments. But if you're telling me Virginia's a lock to get one, Tennessee or Kentucky goes on and win the SEC tournament, that's going to be another one. Duke, North Carolina goes on to win the ACC tournament, or Duke even makes it to the championship game, or even North Carolina makes it to the championship game. That can be another number one. And if Michigan State, and maybe even Michigan, when you look at the resume, either one of them go win the Big Ten tournament, that's a number one. So Gonzaga's probably safe right now, but it's like they're in the clubhouse and these other teams got three or four holes to play, and they can, you know, they, they might not be able to match Gonzaga's score if you'll follow the analogy, but they have an opportunity to, to pass them and push the Zags down to, to a two seed. I, I, think, I think that's where I'm at on this conversation right now. Uh, look at you going, navigating the, the inner sport analogies there. It's an accurate one. You, by the way, you didn't mention LSU. If LSU runs the table, LSU also has a shot at a one seed. So that's another team to put in the mix. I love. The fact that we are four days out from Selection Sunday and there is one surefire lock for the one seed. Maybe it's happened in the past decade. Uh, nothing is coming to mind. Usually by the time the Gonzaga wraps up a bit on Tuesday night in the WCC Conference Tournament, at least two figure to be safe, and that's not the case here. I would keep them on the one for now. Let's just see how these league tournaments play out. Gonzaga is going to remain uh, a top four team, probably a top three team, in most of the metrics there. Now, we'll see if that winds up making a difference or not. Gonzaga's uh, Quadrant 1 performances, because of the league it plays in, it's not going to have as many. And so what will the what will the, the committee do about that? As we record this podcast late Tuesday night, um, Gonzaga's uh, one in the net. I'm highly certain that when the net refreshes, Virginia will be one and Gonzaga will either be two or three. It will not fall below three. Uh, it, Houston doesn't have enough to jump over it, I wouldn't think. And if it does, then <laughs> I might have some 11th-hour questions about the net. But um, Gonzaga will be – am I looking at this right, my man? Are you saying four and four in quad one? No, I've got, I've got it right here. I've, I've, got a, I've got basically all the one seats down. Okay. Uh, let me walk you through some of this real quick. Okay. Um, Virginia, it, you and I agree, by the way. Virginia's a lock. Virginia could lose in the first game ACC tournament. There's just no way they're not going to have one of the best four resumes in the country. Probably, in my opinion, a lock for the number one overall seed. Because if you're a lock right now and the only one, I don't see how there'd be enough for anyone to jump over you. Duke, maybe if it won three times against Virginia, maybe. But I, I, I even have my doubts about that. Now let's just take Virginia, make them a one, and acknowledge that we've got 
I think, seven other teams. I, and, and I'm not counting LSU right now. And and the only reason why is because they don't have their coach. They don't have a key player. I don't think they're going to win the SEC tournament. And if the committee has any reason to to discount them based on recent events, they're going to do it. And I don't even think like they're making one up. Like They don't have their coach, and they don't have Javante Smart. Um, and and like you know, Nasri didn't play the last game, so let's 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 keep an eye on that. So I just don't think LSU's sincerely in the conversation. If they end up winning the SEC tournament, we'll 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 talk through it then. But for now, let's just leave them out of this. Uh, so I think you've got Virginia's one. You got three number one seed spots open, and you got seven teams competing for those spots. And those seven teams are Gonzaga, Tennessee, Kentucky, Michigan State, North Carolina, Duke, and Michigan. So let me walk you through it. Gonzaga right now is four and three in quadrant one win, uh, quadrant one opportunities, six and zero oh in quadrant two opportunities. So they're ten and three in quadrant one slash quadrant two opportunities. They have a fifty eight. Uh, they've won fifty fifty eight percent of their quadrant one games. Now I'll go ahead and tell you something that might influence the way you look at all of this. Literally every other team I just named, the other six competing for these three number one spots. Everyone right now has a higher winning percentage in quadrant one opportunities than Gonzaga. That's not ideal. By the way, quick side note, you're not including Texas Tech. It's higher in the – and I agree, but I'm just – for people that are going to listen to this, Big 12, Texas Tech higher in the net than only Michigan of the teams you've mentioned and has an, a tougher non-conference schedule than Michigan, has six squad ones to Michigan's eight. Um, I don't think Texas Tech has a realistic chance, but I just wanted to acknowledge the Red Raiders here. I think it tops out as at a two, even if it wins the Big 12 tournament. I agree with that. And for what it's worth, um, I saw Joe Lenardi tweet not long before we started recording, if Texas Tech wins the Big 12 tournament, they will be a two seed. That means he doesn't think, even if – this week goes as perfectly as it could go for Texas Tech. He also does not think that they can get uh, to that one line. So Gonzaga's winning percentage in quad one um, opportunities is 58%. I'll give you the other schools. Tennessee's is 64%. Kentucky's is 71%. Uh, Michigan State's is 73%. North Carolina's is 64%. Duke's is 67%. And Michigan's 62%. So every other one of these teams competing for one of those one seeds has a higher winning percentage against quadrant one um, in quadrant one opportunities and they have opportunities to improve those even which is again as you put it not ideal for Gonzaga it is not um, strength of schedule overall for Gonzaga's 47 which is way respectable considering the amount of games they played in the league that brought that down uh, Duke and UNC at three and four respectively have the best number there um, but I think we have reached the point where, and I love it. I like the fact that the conference tournaments, uh, the major conference tournaments, have a lot of, at stake here. It's not always like this every single season. And and how you're discounting LSU, I don't, I don't reject that for sure. But if they were to win the SEC tournament and do it without their coach, it'd be, it'd be interesting to see what the committee did, by the did way decide to do. Totally rooting for that. Oh my gosh, I, I want the, I want the dumbest things to happen. And that would qualify as the dumbest. So, so let me be clear. I'm not rooting against Kentucky. I'm not rooting against Tennessee. I'm just rooting for surreal, awkward experiences. And LSU cutting nets in Nashville a week after cutting nets in Baton Rouge uh, when they probably have to vacate all of this at some point is hilarious to me. Just 
It's just incredible. Uh, LSU snugged right up against Wofford in the net rankings, by the way. All right, I'm done with my Wofford stuff. Um, I, I will, I'll, I'll end with the Gonzaga thing with this, and I just got a quick question for you with St. Mary's. It will not surprise me if, no matter what we see happen here, we look up on Selection Sunday, and even if like the brackets break the way that it seems to favor um, the ACC in a beneficial way or the SEC teams the way that you mentioned it, or Michigan State wins the Big Ten tournament, if Gonzaga still gets a number one, I won't be stunned. I, th- I still think that there's a chance that could happen, but I think if – if some of the scenarios we've talked about played out, I would have no issue with Gonzaga on the two line at all. Uh, if it gets the one, whatever. It's staying out west regardless. Now, if you're a one versus a two, as I mentioned on a previous podcast, you, you're, or I said on CBS Sports HQ, if you're a one seed, your chances historically in a 64 to 68 team field of getting to the final four are 61% or, or 41%. If you're a two seed, it's 21%. So it drops. you got to play tougher competition, but they will stay out west regardless. The one of the two just, as, as just becomes uh, who is the one seed that they'd compare with. As for St. Mary's, they almost certainly take a bid here. I Jerry, uh, Jerry, <laughs> Gary, <laughs> I feel like I mean, I'm on Parks and Rec. You ever, did you ever watch Parks and Rec? Were they? I, you know what? I I just started it, like watching it on flights and stuff. I'm not very far into it, but I I I downloaded a bunch of episodes of stuff that I wanted to watch. And one of the series is Parks and Rec. All right, so there's a character named Jerry who's awesome on that, but they accidentally call him Gary, and I've just done that to you. Uh, it's, it like becomes a running bit in the thing. So anyway, Gary, um, I know you haven't filled out a field of 68 and all that stuff, but uh, blind dart throw. Like, if uh, what school do you think uh, you know can you know potentially just had its season end tonight like what, who do you think would be a prime candidate with st mary's taking because we know that almost certainly happens so no one knows who it is but uh i i tend to guess that it is more likely a mid-major than not and if i say we're Furman or unc greensboro i think that those schools need to be nervous because i'm not saying that the committee would swap one mid for another but i just tend to think that uh the uh, room for debate on those schools and when you have a, a mary steal a bid um, it just there's less slack to give, and traditionally those schools have just have been afforded less slack. But what happens to those schools almost every year? And I know you um, um, talked to Wes Miller earlier this week, um, and and we'll get into that next. But what happens to those teams is they're to go back to the golf. They're in the clubhouse. They they can do nothing to improve themselves, and they're already, according to Jerry Palm, last four in. Right, it's last four in for Jerry is Creighton, Clemson, UNC Greensboro, Furman, in that order. So when this bracket updates, what it should do is throw St. Mary's in and then bump Furman right out. Because what happens is, like, well, that would just be what happens, no matter if, if it was Furman or or, you know, uh, uh, Arkansas, like whoever that team is, it doesn't matter. But what happens is you've got all these teams that are just below you in power conferences, like Florida, like Indiana, like Alabama. And one of those teams is going to win two games. Like one of these power conference on the wrong side of the bubble right now teams is going to win games. And so if you're a team like Furman and UNC Greensboro right on the cut line, you're getting pushed from two directions. You're getting pushed out of the bracket by bid stealers, and then some of these bubble power conference teams are just winning games because they have opportunities to do so, and you don't, and and they just pass you by. And every year, it, it just about every year, this thing unfolds exactly the same way. All right. You want to just give me uh, two minutes for the floor for Greensboro, or you want to touch anything else before we move on? 
I do want to touch on something else, but I want you to handle your Greensboro conversation right now. Okay, real quick on Greensboro. Well, for for the court report, which we'll publish Wednesday at CBSSports.com, the final one of the season, I'm going to lead with just a quick resume rundown of the four intriguing mid-major teams that are on the bubble. I spoke with the coaches of all those teams, Rick Bird at Belmont, of course, obviously. Amazing four-hour conversation. He just couldn't get off the phone. Wes Miller, UNC Greensboro, Bob Ritchie at Furman, and Casey Alexander at Lipscomb. Greensboro to me is the most fascinating because it is the one team that ha- whose resume splinters in the mo- in, in so many different directions. It is the poorest rated of all those four teams in the net. It is by far the poorest rated in Ken Palm, which makes me think that Greensboro will not get into the tournament. I told Wes Miller this much, and uh, he appreciated the honesty, but uh, but also said, "Listen, in strength of record, which is a, which is a stat on the team sheet." It's 32nd. It's by far the best. In results-oriented metrics, UNC Greensboro has the best standing. And so you could argue that traditionally, if you go off what the committee's done, that Greensboro might have a better chance than people think. It doesn't have a bad loss. In fact, here is the stunning stat. UNC Greensboro is the only team on the bubble that has not lost to a quad two, quad three, or quad four opponent. So it played close at LSU. It played uh, close at Kentucky and was missing its best player, um, its best defensive player to defensive player of the year last season uh, in the SoCon. So just wanted to give a little bit of run for Greensboro because I feel like I give credit to Palm Parrish because I think he has been more in on them than I think a lot of people doing bracket forecasts. I, I, I don't think that Greensboro is going to get in, but – I almost feel like it will be a referendum on where the committee is right now because the net's not good, Ken Palm's not good, predicts it's not good. Results-oriented, Greensboro is good. Non-conference schedule-wise, they're kind of in the middle. Like, Lipscomb's scheduled the most difficult. I know you don't think Greensboro's in. I would say not. they wouldn't be as well, but it would be um, a refreshing surprise if they got in. Now, the thing that people get hung up on, and I don't fault people for this, is Greensboro does not have a win over a top 30. It doesn't have, like, a signature win. Like uh, like Belmont at UCLA, Lipscomb at TCU, Furman at Villanova. So that could also be what holds them back. But if you look at results-oriented metrics, Greensboro is by far the strongest. It's it's fascinating. And um, I don't know if 0, 1, or 2 are going to get in. I think the top's out at 2 in terms of these mid-majors. But we wait and see. Um, I, I just, I you know. I always get hung up on these interesting resumes. For the major conferences, to me, it's Indiana. That's the most interesting. For the mid-majors, it's Greensboro. Don't you hate it when you're talking to coaches around this time of the year who are on the bubble and they ask you, like, so what do you think? And you have to be honest with them and be like, I don't think you're going to get there. I, have like, to, I, yeah. I wish you could get there, but I just don't. I don't think you're going to get there. It's like like somebody. It's like one of your buddies asking you, so I love this girl so much. Do you think she's into me? And you're like, no, nah, I don't think so, man. Like, I think she. I th- we just I went on a date last night, man. I don't know what to tell you. Like, this isn't. Yeah. Just she but- doesn't. She doesn't like. I, she. I don't think she's gonna like you at the end of the day. I don't think you're going to be selected as the, the bachelor or whatever. However, that stupid show works. <laughs> so, um, yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Like, Wes has got an incredible team, uh, and he's done an incredible job, and he's got a bright future. I'll be surprised if this team's playing in the NCAA tournament. Now, they did win twice over Furman, by the way, so that's going to be the other thing. you got a lot of teams. Like, uh, Belmont swept Lipscomb, and uh, Greensboro beat Furman twice. Furman's got the better win. Lipscomb's got the best non-conference schedule. Uh, Belmont's, you know, rated higher uh, in terms of quad one and quad two than all the other teams. So there's a lot of overlap, and the committee's just going to have to answer to, okay, why did you prioritize this team and this team and this team? And, oh, by the way, who knows, maybe we still have other bid thieves to come. All right, here's where I want to get to now. 
I don't care what you think the number one seeds. I mean, I don't want to say I don't care, but that's not what I'm asking you. Um, forget what the number one seeds would be right now. What do you think they're going to be on Selection Sunday? Give me your predictions for the four number one seeds, which means you got to kind of project what you think is going to happen in the Big Ten tournament, ACC tournament, um, and SEC tournament. You tell me, Virginia, I know, is one number one seed for you. What are going to be the other three? All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this based off what we had to submit to the site. Our predictions are up at cbsports.com if you want to take a tour of that. So um, in the ACC, I have Virginia winning the conference tournament, which just, you know, it just establishes them like by far no second place um, as, as a one seed. So that's one. In the SEC, I have Kentucky winning. Kentucky winning the SEC tournament, obviously. You can make the case right now Kentucky is actually in the two spot on the one line behind Virginia. So I have them. Uh, that's the second. Um, I, uh, I have, I would say Virginia is going to beat Duke in the title game. So in doing so, and I have Michigan State winning the Big Ten tournament. Here's my prediction. All right. Uh, here's what I'm going to predict. Oh, boy. I'll say Virginia, Kentucky. Duke does not get a one seed for losing in the title game to Virginia. North Carolina does not get a one seed for losing to Duke in the semis. Michigan State gets a one seed because it wins the Big Ten tournament. And Gonzaga holds on to the fourth one seed. And that would mean I would put Duke, UNC, Tennessee, and I think Texas Tech is winning the Big 12 those four land on my two line. I don't think there's any way you agree with that. I don't agree with that, but I agree with the logic. I mean, you and I are we're we're operating on the same we're thinking the same way. We just have different predictions. And based on the way the predictions have been on this podcast, like you're on the right side of this probably. Um you have been better at the predicting outcomes of games than I have. And and you're also better on the topic of Wofford. Um I would say this. Virginia's a one. I don't really care what happens in the ACC tournament. They're really only playing for number one overall or not, and they might already have that locked up too, but they're definitely a one. I'm going to say Duke with Zion wins the ACC tournament, and then they're definitely a one because like the committee will acknowledge, have to acknowledge, that they've only lost one time all season at full strength, and that was on a neutral court to Gonzaga in the final minute. Duke is a number one seed after winning the ACC tournament. That's a prediction. I have Tennessee winning the SEC tournament. And I think if I agree with you, if Kentucky wins the SEC tournament, Kentucky will be a one. But I think Tennessee wins the SEC tournament. So I'm going to say Tennessee is a one. And then I've got Michigan winning the Big Ten tournament. Mm. And, and I'm going, what are you, what's wrong with, oh, oh like it's crazy to pick John B. No, yeah, it's, no, it's not that. It's spicy, man. I was just reacting to that tang. I'm liking it. <laughs> Keep going. Okay. So I got Michigan winning the Big Ten tournament. And I'm going to say that even with Michigan winning the Big Ten tournament, the committee keeps Gonzaga ahead of them. Okay. And Gonzaga is the fourth number one seed. So I'm going to go Virginia, number one overall. Then Duke or Tennessee, and then Gonzaga as the fourth. The four number one seeds are Virginia, Duke, Tennessee, Gonzaga. You've got Virginia, Kentucky, Michigan State, and Gonzaga. All right. I think I'll remember this on Selection Sunday. Someone keep us honest with it. And as we're picking these, by the way, 
Just a quick note, we've had 11 conference tournaments wrap. Only two teams in those tournaments as one seeds have won it. Iona and Walford, and no one else has been able to do it. So I don't know if we'll get uh, a progression to the mean and get some more ones, but it's not looking good if you're a one seed at this point. Um, you know, we'll see what happens. Gonzaga being the latest, St. Mary's gets the bid, and then on Tuesday night, Northern Kentucky got its second bid in three seasons. Fairleigh Dickinson got its second bid in, in four seasons. They won in the NAC title game. Uh, I want to have Paris talk about the CAA real quick here, but Northeastern upsets number one Hofstra, Justin Wright Foreman. He's out, great player, not going to play in the tournament. And then North Dakota State, the four seed in the Summit League, that would have been the league that South Dakota State would have come out of, upset the number two Omaha. So Tuesday night got five bids. Those uh, those were involved in addition to the ones that we mentioned previously. Liberty has one, Gardner-Webb, uh, Iona, Bradley, Murray State, and yeah, that's that's all 11 of them. But GP... You got, you're in Charleston right now, so I do want to hear from you real quick on uh, what you thought of the CAA, if you have any thoughts on uh, Vasa Pushika and, and Northeastern getting, uh, getting to Bill Cohen. I think this is his second tournament. That is true. Won the 2015 CAA tournament to go to the NCAA tournament. Has now won the 2019 CAA tournament. He's going back to the NCAA tournament. We're going to talk about that next, but first, check this out. Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. The dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do. Like me, taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. So, like Norlander said, I was at the CAA tournament the past couple of days doing sideline work for CBS Sports Network. Watched Hofstra beat Delaware in overtime on Monday, then watched Northeastern beat Charleston in the final minute. Two awesome semifinal games, and that set up a championship game between Hofstra and Northeastern, the two top seeds in the CAA. Northeastern jumped to a 16-point lead. You might remember, last year they were up 17, championship game against Charleston. Up 17 with 17 to play. Blew the lead. Go to overtime, lose. Just devastating, right? So now here we go again. Up 16 on Hofstra at the break. Hofstra comes back, ties it in the second half. But Northeastern ends up holding on, thanks largely to Fasa Pashitsa, the Serbian who scored 27. As you pointed out on Twitter, um, Hofstra losing means we're not going to have Chris Clemens, Justin uh, Wright Foreman, Mike Dom. Three incredible scores in the NCAA tournament, and that stinks. But we do get Vasa. He's the CAA Luka. Hashtag CAA Luka Doncic. And good for Bill Cohen, right? Two tournaments now. Um, I like both those coaches, um, Hofstra and, and uh, the Northeastern coaches. 
Joe Mah- Joe Mahalik and and Bill Cohen, like two just really down to earth good dudes who can really coach basketball. So um, happy for Bill, sick for Joe because that would have been Niagara. I mean Hofstra. I'm sorry, coach at Niagara previously that would have been uh Hofstra's first NCAA tournament appearance since 2001 they were close to getting it but uh shouts to Northeastern and shouts to Vasa yeah without a doubt I think Jay Wright was coaching Hofstra in 2001 do you know if that's that would have been a good trivia time and if you would have asked it I'd have knocked it out of the park because I know everything you need to know about Hofstra these days first of all in our group chat with a few other writers <laughs> I mentioned uh, during the semifinals I was like Gary Parrish cannot wait to to say that he discovered Justin Wright Foreman, who I've mentioned on the site many times this season and has been an awesome player for four years. And you go, I've been telling people about Justin Wright Foreman since this afternoon. (laughs) (laughs) I've been on the Justin Wright Foreman train since like easily yesterday afternoon. Uh, Hey, one quick question. You did a great job on the, on the telecast, on the broadcast. I watched, uh, watched both nights. Um, You had, you had some, some detail here. So my question is this, like, during the timeouts, were you straight up just like walking over and standing next to Vasa and and Justin and be, and part of the huddle because you were you were often reporting about like verbatim what was exactly what was said in the huddle and so I'm just wondering if you like were just kind of sneaking in there like or, or what the deal was that's all. Yeah, you know, um, I've got a, a a pretty good relationship with both of those um, with really all of the coaches who were uh, involved in, in these games and in, in the semifinals and, and certainly in the championship game. And so I knew that they wouldn't be the type if I were lurking around the huddle um, to say, hey, get him out of here. Or, you know, because they a lot of these I always say this about sideline reporting. I, 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 I it's not my full time job. I'm not Jamie Erdahl. You know, I'm not. um uh, you know, I'm not Michelle Tafoya, but but what I am is I, I'm somebody who covers college basketball 365 days a year, and these coaches sort of see me as that person as opposed to a sideline reporter they do not know and they're not comfortable with. So uh, they usually treat me well, and I knew that these guys wouldn't mind if I was kind of lurking because, especially in the semifinals, I mean, we had two close games, and the final six minutes or so, you know, every time out is like, this could decide the game. What happens next? So I just committed myself to to trying to be as close to those huddles as I could, hearing what I could. And even when it came down to, you know, what are they going to try to do right here? Um, if I can if I can explain it to the audience, here's what to look for, then, um, then I was going to do my best to, to do that. And so... I appreciated those guys being so comfortable letting me really just hang out in the huddle. I mean, I, I was right next to Justin and right next to Vasa. Um, and and everybody was, was cool with it. And so I will tell you the only one I was just – because, like, I, I, I come out of a Hofstra huddle in the semifinals, and I'm like, okay, they're going to – you know, and then they throw it to me. And, and Gary was in the Hofstra huddle. Uh, Gary, um, so what are they going to try to do here? Tie game, 16 seconds to go. And I'm like, well, they're going to start Justin uh, right Foreman down low, but they're going to run him off two screens to try to pop him loose, get him the ball, and then they're just going to ask him to go make a play. And then, boom, that exact same thing happens. That exact thing happens, and I look I, – I don't want to say I look smart because, really, I was just relaying what I heard a coach tell his team. 
There's nothing smart about that. I just listened and then repeated uh, in my own words. But I was so mad at the Delaware players because I did the same thing, and oh, they, just, they just busted the play. Like they were supposed to swing it one more time and take a three-point shot at the end of, I believe, overtime, and instead kid tries to go drive baseline, steps on the baseline. And so I felt sick for him, but I was more angry at him because he did not obey Martin Inglesby, which made me look like I didn't know what I was talking about. But I, I listened to the coach. He didn't listen to the coach, and it created his problem. Well, regardless, that was a very funny moment uh, when that happened. And you did a good job. And, you know, those small conference tournaments, they're, they're good for oh, the they're college great. basketball. They're great. So, yeah. I mean, like you got – so I'm in the Northeastern huddle – with like 3.40 to go, and they're up 6, 7, whatever it is, you know, on Tuesday night. And you know that, the, like, if you're doing sideline or you're just at the ACC championship game, whatever. I mean, it's going to be awesome because it's going to be Duke, Virginia, North Carolina, Virginia, some combination of something. And But, but like, both teams are – it's not live or die. You know, like, they're both going to the NCAA tournament. They're both going to be seated high, whatever. This is like live or die. From a basketball perspective, Hofstra and Northeastern are finishing this game. One of them is going to fulfill a dream, and one of them is going to feel sick. Now, I was talking to the Hofstra staff before the game, and um, you know, I was talking to one of the coaches, and he said he was thinking about it on Tuesday afternoon. He was like, you know, I'm going to come back to this hotel tonight, and it's either going to be the happiest I've been in my professional life ever, or I'm just going to be sick, and there's no in-between. And so when you recognize the stakes are that high, those those events are a lot of fun. I know it wasn't in, you know, an 18,000-seat arena with 18,000 fans, but if you're in that huddle with 340 to go and these Northeastern kids have an opportunity to a man go to the NCAA tournament for the first time, and in some cases the only time, you know, it was like 340 to go, and one of the players said, three minutes, 40 seconds. Like you, you know, you know, we're 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 three minutes. You know, he was just fired up because they knew this dream of ours is right there. Like all we got to do now is grab it, and then of course they go out and do it. And it's sort of an interesting story with Vasa because I didn't know this. I mean, I knew his basic stories from Serbia, but Jonathan Gavoni uh, tweeted our our friend at ESPN tweeted um, on Tuesday night like he got a phone call from this kid from Serbia one time asking for help to get to the United States. Like Jonathan helped him get to the United States. And then he goes to Northeastern. And as a senior, not only is he the leading scorer on the team, but he scores 27 in the championship game, earns CAA tournament MVP honors, and he's going to the NCAA tournament. He said even in Serbia, he would grow up watching NCAA tournament games. And this really has been a lifelong dream. And when you watch anybody, I don't care if it's a basketball player or a, you know, an, an accounting student, when you watch somebody, uh, you know, achieve a dream, that's that's a pretty cool moment. It is very cool. It's why I love this. It's why I love this week, and you uh, you get a chance to you know just chat with uh, with coaches from mid major leagues, and you know these the amount of work that is put into these programs, and and what's done like it's all the attention is now right. But the stuff that they'll they'll be doing at the end of March after the out of the NCAA tournament and then into April and don't get me wrong all programs do it but specifically when you're on that level and you just don't get attention all, for all but really to, you know a week 
And if sure. you make a Cinderella run, then that's blessed, and you get another week worth of it. Um, you know, it's uh, it's uh, in a lot of ways it's thankless outside of just the small quarters that they that they have those programs in those towns and stuff. So, uh, good on Northeastern. Uh, the Boston area will have at least one team in the NCAA tournament this season, and uh, they've got they've got a shot. You know, Vasa is, by the way, he hit seven threes, one shy of the CAA title game record, and he is the kind of guy we could look up. I'm blindly guessing here. I'm guessing Northeastern's going to wind up as a 15, um, but could look up and, and you know what? Maybe there's 12 minutes to go in the second half of whatever team they're playing, and he's got 23, and he's just keeping it interesting. And that's a lot of the fun of those first two days of the tournament. No question, and um, he's tremendous. Um, and I, I will give Northeastern a shot. I told I told Bill this after the game. Like they can beat somebody um, because they shoot it. They shoot it often from the three point line, and they shoot it well from the three point line. And you talk to any of these coaches of power conference teams, the teams that scare them um, from the mid-major level, low-major level, are, are teams that – because nobody's going to out-athlete them. Nobody's going to uh, overwhelm them physically. But, oh, my God, you give me a team of shooters that takes a bunch of threes and makes a lot of threes, that can be a scary combination. And so, uh, listen, I, I don't. I, when the bracket comes out, I'm confident I won't pick Northeastern to win a game. But I won't be shocked if it does. They're they're the type of team that could win a game. Yep, for sure. Um, all right, we have a little bit off the court scuttlebutt to get to, right? Yeah. So Texas A&M plays Wednesday night in Nashville, first round of the SEC tournament. The opponent is Vanderbilt, so they should win because everybody beats Vanderbilt. But if uh, the Aggies lose, according to the Houston Chronicle, that is it for Billy Kennedy. The Houston Chronicle reported on Tuesday afternoon that Billy Kennedy will not return next season. Um. It's no real surprise. This has been circulating in industry circles for a while. You know as well as I do. Um, there becomes a we get to a certain point in the calendar where you start talking to industry sources, and you're bouncing what you're hearing off of each other. And it's like, okay, what are you hearing at Penn State? Okay, what are you hearing at Washington State? What are you hearing at um, A and M? And no matter who you talk to, what everybody was hearing at A and M is that they're going to make a a coaching change. Um, so this has been circulating, like I said, for a while. Um, Billy's been there eight seasons, two Sweet Sixteens, one as recently as last season. But the program is is in a bad spot right now. Thirteen and seventeen overall, six and twelve in the SEC. Zero top seventy-five prospects committed for next season. I'd never root against a guy like Billy Kennedy. I like him a lot, but if somebody were to ask me to answer the question honestly, is it time to make a change? I think it might be time to make a change. Uh, yeah, maybe. Coming off a of Sweet 16, he's been to two Sweet 16s, and the only two tournament appearances he went uh, with A&M, that was 2018 and 2016. This has been building. Now, here's what I know of how things have, have kind of taken taken hold here. Um, uh, some, you know, last season, uh, from what I have gathered, uh, there was just some discussion about the staff getting paid more. So they had, so his staff got restructured deals. So the the staff's deals actually carry over beyond the season. So A and M will not just be buying out Kennedy; it will be buying out the rest of his staff. They're already paying Jimbo Fisher a lot of money, but obviously A and M is wanting and willing to to make a change. Now, the dominant name in this is Buzz Williams. It, it, it is widely speculated that Buzz Williams is the number one target for Texas A&M. In doing so, Texas A&M has never paid big for a basketball coach ever, but this could be a change. This could be a sea change for that program. Um, 
if it wants to lure Buzz Williams back to Texas and that program, he was there previously uh, under Billy Gillespie as an assistant. Uh, that there is a potential for that, you know. Virginia Tech and Texas A&M are actually not all that different historically in terms of uh, the level of program that is, and it's just a matter of, you know, if you like Virginia Tech, if you like A&M, if you can get more money, uh, we wait and see on that. So I I have been led to believe that it is Buzz Williams' job to turn down at this point, and if it doesn't go that way, then A&M would do its diligence in poking around and seeing the interest of, say, Chris Beard, Kelvin Sampson, two obvious local choices within that state, uh, on March 13th, though, I if you were asking me to predict now, I will predict that Buzz Williams is Texas A&M's coach within a month from now. I am int- I am interested to see if he gets asked about this publicly at all in the ACC tournament, and if he does, how he chooses to respond. I'm not guaranteeing it happens, but the, the feeling is that it is leaning Buzz's way, and they're going to basically force him to say no and offer him a lot of money in the process. Well, you know, keep in mind, he was born in Texas. Um, his coaching career um started in texas he's worked a lot and people have always thought that he would ultimately be a head coach in the state of texas whether that was at the university of texas or texas a&m people have forever thought that eventually that's where he goes and keep in mind even though he's been doing this feels like forever it's only 46 years old yeah still relatively young a Division One basketball coach. I will say that I don't think it'll come down to uh, money because he can get whatever he wants from Texas A&M and Virginia Tech can counter you know money. These are two institutions with lots of money. They they if if one of them wants to make him a four million dollar a year coach, they can do that probably no problem. Um, I, I will say that if you go look at and you could probably find this if you just Google it, Gary Parish and Buzz Williams and Blacksburg and whatever. But I went to Blacksburg not long after Buzz got the job at Virginia Tech to do a story. Basically, why, why did he take this job? Because everybody on a very surface level was like, why would you leave a good Marquette job for a historically bad Virginia Tech job? And when you sit down with Buzz, um, he explained it in a, in a lot of different ways. He was concerned about the Big East honestly losing its ESPN contract or or moving to FS1. He thought the lack of visibility, um, you know, that the, the visibility ESPN provided as opposed to what FS1 would provide, he thought was could impact recruiting, could by extension impact the program. But one of the other things he said was that he had done a study and he'd done studies on everything. I mean, you talk about somebody who really knows the numbers on everything. He's a fascinating um, individual. If you can ever, he's a hard guy to crack. I don't think many people know him well, Yeah. but whoever get the chance, if he, if he ever gets to the point where he trusts you and he'll open up to you, he's one of the more fascinating characters in college basketball. And for whatever reason, um, I reached that point with him. He like he trusts me, and he 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 lets me inside a little bit to the point where he he'll he'll just talk to me like a normal person as opposed to like he's a coach and I'm a reporter. And and a lot of that is displayed in that story that I wrote. He's going through old journals that he kept, notebooks just filled with stuff. But one of the things he really focused on and studied was how you know how it goes when you stay at a place too long. 
And I thought this was an incredible self-evaluation. But one of the things he said to me was, okay, GPI's at Marquette for six years. And in those six years, went to five NCAA tournaments, three Sweet 16s, and an Elite Eight. And he said, okay. So then I sit there and I go, okay, if I'm here another six years, how likely is it that I can replicate that? Which means the next six years, I go five more NCAA tournaments, three more Sweet 16s, um, and an Elite Eight. And he was like, it's not great, is it? Like, I probably won't replicate that for a million different reasons, just because it's it's hard to do, because, um, you know, our conference isn't today what it was when I got this job. whole bunch of different reasons. But bottom line, probably not going to replicate that. Okay, what happens when you repl- when you don't replicate that? The fans start to ask big questions. The boosters start to ask big questions. They start to wonder, okay, is he still working like he worked? Why is recruiting falling off? Um, why aren't we winning like we used to? Like they start, And you're the same guy doing the same job. But once you set the bar at a certain place, and that's where I've set the bar, five NCAA tournaments in six years, three Sweet 16s and Elite Eight. Now, if I don't touch that bar, nobody will judge me based on where the program was when I got it. They just judge me based on the program was what I did in my first six years. So now I'm on the hot seat. And, and this may have been an exaggeration, but he was thinking of it in those terms. And he was like, basically what you find out is that you're smart to start looking around every six, seven, eight years. Because that's the way to have career longevity. Um, it's the way to keep fresh expectations, a fresh fan base. Nobody ever gets tired of you. And I say all that to say this is his fifth season at Virginia Tech. Like it's around the same time when according to at the very least the philosophy he had five years ago, this is about the time you start looking. And when you've got a possibly better job in your home state for whatever money you probably want, I think that's the type of opportunity he might he might decide is is worth moving to. Virginia Tech has literally never made three straight NCAA tournaments. Right. And it will this season. Buzz Williams will be taking the program to a level it has never reached. He's done a great job there. I'd actually love to see if he could, if he stayed there, what he could do and how much higher he could take it. But let's look at the league, look at the coaches in there. And if we're being completely honest, you know, maybe, hey, who knows? Maybe it's a stunning Final Four run. Maybe you make it Elite Eight, whatever. In the macro, this is the Virginia Tech ceiling. What we are, what we are amid right now, this is the ceiling for the program. Does he want to stay there? Does he does he want the new challenge? And does he want to go home? And yeah, we'll, we'll see. Uh, we'll see how that that kind of thing progresses. Well, well, but to your point. I'll, I'll just okay. Let's forget what we what I think or what Buzz thinks. Let's just focus on what you think. What you just said, and I don't disagree with you by the way. This is about as good as it gets at Virginia Tech. You're top twenty team all season. Um, you're top. Ten team for part of the season, or right around there at least. If you think this is as good as it gets at Virginia Tech, then you know what that means. It can only get worse, and when it gets worse, what happens? Exactly what he was talking about when he left Marquette. And I know there was other stuff going on at Marquette, so I'm not. I know there's Marquette fans out there being like, "Wow, there's this and that, and you don't. You must have forgotten about that." I know there was other stuff going on. I'm just saying he was motivated at least in part by. You know, it it's just it might be just time to go, and if you think it never gets better than this at Virginia Tech, then it only gets worse than this at Virginia Tech. So maybe it's time to go. Stay stay a year or two ahead of the questions, and he was able to do that at Marquette for the most part, 
And if he were to bounce right now, obviously he'd, he'd be doing it at Virginia Tech. Yes, yes, for sure. And if he does leave, if he does, then Virginia Tech opens. Uh, we'll just note within that league as we wrap up the podcast here, Wake Forest lost. Wake Forest is a private institution. Whatever Danny Manning's buyout is, I don't know. I think it's, a, I think it's frankly, it's that exact number is not known to almost everyone. Uh, it's a matter of how big it is if Wake Forest is going to be able to buy him out. If it is an affordable number, the the, the expectation is that there will be a coaching change. But uh, but if it's like, if it's fifteen million, like that is a ton of money. Uh, it would be hard to justify getting rid of him and then bringing in uh, a new coach that you think can revitalize the program because you're going to have to pay that coach a lot of money unless you want to go super young and think you can go on the cheap. So just uh, as we wrap up the pod and before we do our next one, that's the one in the immediacy that we kind of wait and see if there will be any sort of movement at all at Wake Forest or not. And we started talking about Texas and and we jumped almost directly into the Buzz Williams conversation. I do want to circle back to Billy Kennedy for a second because – um, though I do understand if Texas A&M is going to do this, I understand why the school is doing this. Um, but um, he was hired in May of 2011 and diagnosed with Parkinson's in October of that same year. And I wrote a column one time about how other schools were using that to negative recruit against him, um, which is just shameful, Un- unsurprising, but shameful. And I, I guess I'd just say this. You know, it, I didn't know if he'd be able to coach eight seasons after being diagnosed with Parkinson's. Um, I, I suppose he probably did because he's, you know, you have to think that way. I would imagine if you're him under these circumstances, but I don't know that I thought that. And so if this does end, I'm sure it's not the way he wanted it to end. But coaching eight full seasons and, and, and being successful, you know, going to two sweet 16s, um, um, you know, after being diagnosed with such a nightmare of a disease um it's is is worth something you know he's 55 years old now i'm sure he's made enough money to 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 relax and enjoy um his health for as long as he still has it and um you know i hate to see him not in college basketball and i'm not even saying he won't be but um but yeah you know he's dealt an incredibly unfair hand uh back in 2011 and he has handled it as gracefully um, and as optimistically as you could, as you could, I think possibly handle it. I agree completely. And if there were an opportunity at a at a at a, at a mid major type that opened up, I I think Billy Kennedy has a has a has a pretty respectable track record and is deserving of a, of at least one more go around. We'll we'll see if that happens or not, but. Um, Houston Chronicle reported it. It's not official yet. Obviously, the season has to has to wrap for A and M, but um, these things go hand in hand. The best time of the season, uh, best time of the year, best time of the calendar. All these games, but coaching turnover is inevitable, and we are just kind of at the start of it here. It's going to get noisier in the next seven to fourteen days. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry M. F. and Teagle, the legend. Shouts to Larnell, and shouts to all you guys for. Uh, making the CBS Sports Island College Basketball Podcast the most listened to college basketball podcast uh, on Apple Podcasts. Uh, the last episode, the most listened to episode. Like if you clicked on those things over on iTunes, we were ranked number one, number one, number one, basically everywhere you can be ranked number one. So don't allow us to do what Gonzaga did and lose that top ranking. Uh, you guys keep subscribing, keep rating it five stars, nice comments. Keep listening, and we will be back uh Talking to you again before the weekend. Enjoy uh, your Wednesday of Championship Week. Enjoy your Thursday of Championship Week. And we'll talk to you again, uh, I believe, on Friday morning. Till then, 
Take care.